0: Hi, Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms and it's my privilege and my passion to share tips and tools to make your journey easier. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are going to be talking about dealing with angry children and how to prevent it. So let's get right into it. Have you got angry kids in your home? There's varying degrees of anger, but when your kids get to where anger seems to be the default, that becomes a real problem. Romans 6.16 tells us that when a person habitually yields to a particular sin, he becomes a slave to that sin. So anger is just a natural response. When somebody wrongs us or things seem to be going wrong, when someone's mean, it's just natural for your kids to lash out in anger. But it's our job as parents to lead our kids in the scriptures to see what God says about this sin and how teach them how to deal with what's going on in their heart. That's where everything happens is in their heart. So we want to deal with this before it becomes a habitual problem. We're going to talk about both, like when it's just little toddlers getting angry and lashing out or when it's someone who's got a habitual problem. But our goal is to prevent it, to deal with it before it becomes a habit. You know, we need to help our kids to realize what a truth they're telling themselves that they're believing. What is in their heart is sin. You know, we were born that way. But when we teach our kids to dwell on truth instead of Satan's lies or our own deceitful thoughts, it begins to change their heart. And then it actually plays out into their actions as they internalize God's truth in their life. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. So learn to ask wise questions. You know, what were you thinking when you yelled at your brother? And they might, they might say, I wasn't thinking anything. But if you kind of work through it and, and ask them how they were feeling, um, you'll get to see what's going on in their heart. That's the goal, to see what is going on. Whether they're thinking it's unfair or, um, you know, you wronged me or it's, it's just mean of you. You know, you want to know what's going on in their heart to help them to deal with that. Sinful anger is really just rebellion against God. And I recently have been reading a book by Lou Priolo called The Heart of Anger, and he hits the nail right on the head and he provides practical solutions. So I'm going to share a little bit about what he writes today and also ways that we chose to lead our kids in this area. But I do recommend this book, especially if you've got um, a child where it's a habitual sin Um, For anybody, this can be helpful, but especially if it's really become a serious problem, you need this book. Um, So it's helpful to figure out what's causing the anger they're experiencing and then follow it to its root. It's so crucial. Um, You know, with your little ones, it may seem like a really small infraction, but it helps to get a view of what might happen if we don't deal with it. And that's what I hope to show you today, you know, why it's important that we deal with it from the beginning. And Lou Priolo gives five steps on a stairway to destruction, from anger to rebellion, that we need to address before it becomes habitual, because if it's left undealt with, it's going to follow this progression. The first one is a wounded spirit. Proverbs 18, 14 says, a wounded spirit, who can bear? A wounded spirit begins with some kind of hurt or even a perceived hurt. It might be that somebody laughed at your child and they, or somebody laughed, you know, they just laughed and and your child thought they were being laughed at. That's a perceived hurt. That's the person didn't intend any harm, but the child perceived it as a hurt. And hurt is a seed that can grow into bitterness if it's not dealt with properly. So we need to see what's going on in the child's heart, what they perceive to be a hurt. And I'm afraid sometimes as parents, we cause that wound, you know, usually very unintentionally. And we might not even realize it's happening unless we learn to focus on that and to deal with it. It's so much easier just to kind of brush things under the rug and think, oh, they'll get over it or it's going to go away or whatever. But as parents, you know, we're not to do that. We are to try to get to see what's going on in our child's heart by asking wise questions and helping them to express what they're feeling, what they're dealing with. And we need to teach them there are two ways to deal with a hurt. The first one is practice forgiveness. And Life, the Christian life, is all about forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, and we need to teach our kids how to practice forgiveness. Luke 17.3 says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and then it talks about forgiving 70 times 7, you know, we're to continually forgive people, and this is something that our kids need to learn to do. We need to learn to do it ourselves to forgive. If you don't learn to forgive, you're going to have a lot of difficulty in life. And in another podcast soon, I plan to deal on forgiveness. Um, But we won't focus on that so much today. So they either need need to practice forgiveness or they need to overlook the transgression. You know, there's nothing wrong with overlooking the hurt that somebody just caused for you. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to, angry, to anger, and his, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. And we need to teach our kids how to do that. You know, God is going to deal with the person who was mean to us or who mistreated us. And sometimes it is appropriate to overlook that transgression just to let it go. But it helps to have your child verbalize what hurt they experienced. It could be something that you did or someone else did. Or it might be something they thought was a hurt that really wasn't, that was mean, that really wasn't. And I think that happens so often. But communication is so important to help us understand what's going on and then help them see what's going on in their heart because, second step, if they don't deal with that hurt properly, if they don't either forgive or overlook the transgression, bitterness is going to develop. And oh boy, this is bitterness is so destructive. Bitterness develops when a child rehearses over and over again in their mind the offense. This violates 1 Corinthians 13.5, which tells us that love does not keep a running account of evil but it's the natural thing to do. Somebody hurts you and you think about it and you think about it, and sometimes you expand what they did and it becomes worse than what they did. So we need to teach our kids not to dwell on that. Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many be defiled. There's so much packed into that verse. Bitterness, usually a bitter person is the last person to know that they're bitter. Other people can see it and feel it, but they don't know. They're they're kind of immersed in that hurt and they're they've built this case in their mind and in their heart. And bitterness it says springing up. Bitterness will do that. For a while things might seem to go easy, and then something happens, and bitterness will spring up in their heart. And, oh, wow. You know, if you don't deal with it, it can become a pattern. And a bitter person sees everything in life through a bitter lens. It's like they've got on bitter glasses, and they see everything through that bitterness. And it's so important to teach our kids to recognize this and to deal with it. And it says, it not just hurts them, by it many become defiled. And this is so true. And um, sometime I would like to interview my husband Rick and have him tell you about how he had to deal with bitterness in his life and how it affected how he dealt with the children for a period of time and all that. I mean, it just, bitterness is not a sin you commit all by yourself. It affects you, it really affects you, but it affects all those around you. It affects the siblings, it affects the mom and dad, it affects neighbors, it affects friends, it affects people at church. So it is so important to help them learn to practice forgiveness so bitterness cannot take root and cause damage. As I say, forgiveness is so crucial to a successful Christian life, but for now just I don't want to cover forgiveness in detail, but let me tell you, forgiveness involves three commitments. Number one, you have to say, I will not hold this sin against you any longer. You have to determine that, that you are not going to hold the sin against the person. Number two, you're not going to talk about it with others unless it's like getting help to overcome it, but you're not going to go around and blab it to everybody around you. And people that are bitter are so tempted to do that. They want to get people on their side and, and tell them how bad this other person was. Number three, this sometimes we forget. I'm not going to allow myself to dwell on it in my mind, replaying it over and over again. And this, I can't emphasize how important this is because you're feeding yourself on truth. You're feeding yourself on bitterness when you allow yourself to replay it again and again and again in your mind. So if bitterness is not dealt with, anger is the third step. Now, when I say anger, I'm not talking about just a momentary explosion. You know, we've got toddlers that someone grabs a toy and they, ah! You know, we're not talking about that. That's, that needs to be dealt with so that all these progressions don't happen and they end up being an angry person. But An angry spirit becomes characteristic of his or her personality. You've met people like this. Scripture calls them the angry man, and no one wants to be the angry man. But if we cultivate anger, we're going to become one. And we need to teach our kids that. It's what you cultivate in your heart is what you're going to become. And we're going to talk a little bit about that again, I mean some more. The fourth step is stubbornness. This is insubordination. This is the ideal, idea of digging your heels in and saying, no, I won't, refusing to change. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness. If you don't deal with that anger, you become stubborn. And this is when the child actually feels like he's the ruler of his own destiny, not God, me. You know, what I say goes. The fifth step is rebellion. And this is when anger has gone way beyond that of the angry man to the fool. And I just want to read to you characteristics of a fool from Lou Priolo's book. Now, you're going to see some of these characteristics in your kids, in your little kids. And just because they are demonstrating one or two of these things does not mean they are a fool. They are demonstrating foolish behavior. And you can point that out to them. But it's when this is a pattern, when it's ingrained, when this is their default. He says, 25 characteristics of a fool. Despises wisdom and instruction. Despises. Hates knowledge grieves his mother. Now, these are all in Proverbs, and I could give you the verses, but I won't, um, you know, it's in his book if you want to access it. Enjoys devising mischief. Now, this is not just playing a little trick on somebody. This is causing harm to others, planning mischief, planning evil intent on another person. He's right in his own eyes. He's quick to anger. Um, he gives a verse in Proverbs, but Ecclesiastes 7.9 also says, Don't be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Hates to depart from evil. Deceitful, that means he intentionally deceives, he intentionally misleads. Arrogant and careless. Rejects his father's instruction. Despises his mother or father and or father. Despise means to belittle, just, you know, does not pay attention to them at all. Does not respond well to discipline. Does not understand wisdom, obviously. Has a worldly focus or a carnal value system. Grieves his parents. Hurts his parents. Will not discuss any viewpoint but his own. He has to be right. He provokes others to strife by his anger, by his words his smart mouth usually gets him into trouble. He's quarrelsome. He's contentious. He's always, he can't get along with anyone. He's a spendthrift. He hates to, just can't hang on to his money. He repeats his folly or his foolishness. He does not respond to reproof. He goes on. It's a pattern. He trusts in his own heart. So much in the world today says, follow your own heart. But you know, That can be dangerous. The heart is deceitfully wicked, and we need to not follow our own heart. We need to follow God's word. Cannot resolve conflicts. He cannot get along with others. He thinks it's everyone else's fault, that everyone else is being unreasonable, and gives full vent to his anger. He will not admit when he's wrong. He just demonstrates anger as a way of life. So the best way to deal with rebellion is prevention. Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent man sees the evil and hides himself. And that's what we're talking about today. We don't wanna see this progression in our kids' lives. Hopefully your kids are not at that point where you see all this as a pattern. You might see a few of those things cropping up, which is why we need to deal with it. And you know, that's why we develop growing in wisdom for use with our own kids. It deals with 32 negative behaviors and the corresponding positive behavior. When you put off the negative behavior, you're supposed to put on the positive behavior. And anger is the first one in the book. Um, It gives a definition of anger to make wrath, indignation, heat prone to anger, to smoke, to burn. And I'm gonna just give you a little bit of um, a sampling of what your kids will find. We would have our kids work through this You know, you can, there's 32 different negative traits in this book. So if your kids are dealing with anger, you can do that. If they're dealing with gossip, you can turn to that and do that. You don't have to do the book in order. You can do it according to the need. So we give a scripture verse for the kids to look up, Proverbs 15, 1, and then some short answer questions. What type of words tend to inspire anger in those who hear them? What type of word should we use instead to turn away wrath? And they will get this wisdom from the verse. Proverbs 15, 18, what does anger stir up? What appeases strife? Proverbs 16, 32, what does this verse tell us about a person who's slow to anger? Another one, what character quality should we exercise to defer anger? What is a godly way to hold back anger? How might you apply this to someone who's angry with you? How about someone you're tempted to be angry at? Another verse in Psalms, how are we told in this verse to deal with our anger? What are we warned against doing? Again in Psalms, what insight does this verse give us into the character of God? Since we are to strive to attain godly character in our lives, what can we learn from this verse? And I'm just going to skip through, there's tons of them, but um, what does this verse imply that we can control our anger or not? What is said of the man who's angry? List responses to put away from us. Um, We also give some verses to look up about people who were angry in Scripture. Tell the name of this person what he was angry at and give the consequences or result of his anger. So then what's another word Scripture uses for anger? Wrath. What does this verse tell us about a man who's slow to wrath? And then we do self-control. We go through the opposite, self-control. We come to a conclusion. Remember to give a soft answer and watch God work it out. So we've got several pages of short answer questions that everyone needs to know. You know, Whether your child is struggling with anger or not, we're getting the wisdom of what God's word says about anger. If they are struggling about it, yes, you need to have them work through that so that you're not just telling them it's bad to be angry. You're letting them see what God says about anger and what's going to happen if they don't deal with their anger because God's word's clear on it. Okay. Lou Priolo says there are two kinds of homes. See if you can see yours in this. There's a child-centered home, and he gives some characteristics of a child-centered home where kids are allowed to interrupt adults when they're talking. We... If our kids would want to tell us something, we would have them stand quietly by us and just put their hand gently on us. And that alerted us that they had something they needed to tell us. So we would find a good place where we could excuse ourselves from a conversation with another person and address what they had to tell us. And that's a good way to handle that, a good practical way. A lot of times, a child-centered home can easily become a God-centered home if you realize what's happening and put some guidelines in place. Using manipulation and rebellion to get in their way. We would not allow kids to, our kids, to come up to us in church and say, Mom, can so-and-so come home with us right in the presence of the other person? That was kind of a way to manipulate you. You'd feel the pressure of the other person standing there looking at you. So we would tell them, if you want to have somebody come home with you after church, Come to us in advance, and then we can call up their parents, and we can plan it, and they can maybe bring a change of clothes, but don't come and ask in church, because the answer is going to be no. Where kids dictate the family schedule, including mealtimes, bedtimes, having an equal or overriding vote in decision-making matters. You know, mom and dad need to make the rules, the kids need to obey. When kids demand excessive time and attention from their parents to the detriment of biblical responsibilities of the parents. When kids try to escape the consequences of their sinful and irresponsible behavior. You know, we made up a consequence chart. Disobedience, direct disobedience, we spanked for. But if it were other infractions, we made up a consequence chart and we showed our kids, if you do this, then this is the result. And we gave them a verse from scripture to let them see that scripture said that kind of behavior was wrong. And then we gave them a consequence. And I remember one time, one of my daughters came to me, she was just little, and she said, mama, what's the consequence for? And I told her and she said, okay, I won't do it then. But you know, what we were doing, we were helping them make wise decisions. And and I will link in the show notes to a sample consequence chart that we used for our kids. When kids are the dominant influence in the home, or when, they, when you have to entertain or coddle them out of a bad behavior instead of discipline them, those are characteristics of a child-centered home. Now, what's a Christ-centered home? 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us the very reason we're left here as Christians on earth is to glorify God. God's desires are have, to, have to be exalted over everyone else's. Everyone in the home is expected to sacrifice personal pleasures if God's will requires it. I love this, you to teach your kids to serve rather than be served, to honor rather than be honored, to give rather than take. And I've got, he has a list to help you evaluate, but it's so important to teach your kids to have servants' hearts. It just, correct so many problems if you involve them in service to others. Okay, he says God-centered home to joyfully serve others. Take your kids with you when you when you visit elderly or shut-ins or moms with new babies, look for people around you with needs and take your kids with you to meet those needs. And I cannot tell you how blessed I have been to watch my kids as they have carried this on as adults to serve needs. They're servant-hearted. It's one thing the one thing that we really did right with our kids to invest in the lives of others. And it carries over. It becomes a pattern and a way of life. And you will see it played out so many times over. And if you need ideas for how to do that, Character in Action is full of ideas. It's things we've done with our kids to involve them with others and to serve others. And there's you know, tons and tons of creative ways that you can involve your kids with others. To cheerfully obey parents the first time, we would tell our kids obedience is cheerfully, immediately, and thoroughly. If it's not one of those pieces is left out, it's not true obedience. And all my kids could tell you that. It has to be cheerfully, immediately, and thoroughly. To not interrupt parents when they're speaking to each other. And again, you know, just have them lay their hand on you and wait until you're done. But you know that they have something they want to talk to you about so you can find a good place to interrupt the other person or to excuse yourself from the other person. To understand they will not always get their way. We would tell our kids life is not fair. God is just, but life is not fair. There's a difference. They need to learn to work their schedule around their parents' schedule. Instead of, I need to go to this activity, I need to do this, they need to work around parents' schedule. To have input in family decisions, but not necessarily an equal vote. To understand that God has given their parents other responsibilities in addition to meeting their needs. They need to learn to suffer the natural consequences of their sinful and irresponsible behavior. They need to learn to esteem others as more important than themselves. Philippians 2 talks about that, and it's it's so important teaching your kids to do that. They need to fulfill various household responsibilities. We had chore charts, and I've talked about that in another podcast, couple podcasts. Your kids need chores. They need to be a part of the team of the family. They need to work. We had extra chores that we would pay our kids for, things that weren't done all the time, like cleaning the car or something like that when they wanted to earn extra money, but everyone did some chores just as being a part of the family. They need to learn to protect themselves from bad influences. And I could give you examples of, of times our kids did that, like they were at someone else's house and they were watching TV. And, and my oldest son said, I don't think my mom and dad would want us to watch that without permission. We'll just do something quietly in the other room while you do that to not divide parents over disciplinary, disciplinary issues. I remember my kids saying, hey, mom, uh, never mind. This is a question for dad. Because <laughs> you know? they thought dad might be a little easier on this issue than mom. So you need to decide your rules together and not have um, your kids playing one against another. So that's just a few little things to help you realize. Is my home God-centered, or is it um, parent-centered, I mean children-centered. Kids need to know they are 100% responsible for their actions. However, you need to evaluate if you as a parent have contributed to provoking your kids to anger. Ephesians 6.4 says, and you fathers and mothers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we need to evaluate, are we doing that? Have we done that? In Lou's book, he gives some examples of how we can provoke our kids to anger. But I think I'm going to stop here because I think it's going to get too long on this podcast. So I think we will continue this next week about giving you some practical ideas of how not to provoke your kids to anger. So please join us next week. And as I say, you might find growing in wisdom and character in action helpful to you. And definitely Lou Priolo's book, The Heart of Anger. And we will give links to that um, in the show notes for this week and next week as well. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week.